We are going to be focusing back in Matthew chapter 5. Now, y'all, it's serious today. I brought my big Bible. Uh, I had a, uh, a youth pastor back in the day who uh, called this kind of Bible a farm dog Bible. And he said it's because this is the kind of Bible the country preachers used to carry around so when the farm dogs would charge them, they could knock them out of the way. So uh, that seems appropriate. Uh, but uh, don't worry, I don't plan to be hitting anyone uh, uh, with the Bible today. Um, now, the Bible may hit some hearts, but I'm not going to, I won't be swinging mine at you. So, um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to go ahead and read the focused scripture. And then we're going to pray together. We're just going to ask the Lord to speak this morning, okay? That sound good? All right. We're going to prepare ourselves. Let's hear what the Lord says. I, I want to read the whole passage again. I think it's really good for us to hear the whole thing in context. Uh, we're focusing specifically on uh, verse 4 today, but we're going to read the whole thing in context. So let's start at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. And it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. This is the word of the Lord. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for his word? Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, this morning we realize we are absolutely helpless and unable to properly understand and apply this world word without your help, Father. We need the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit this morning. Lord, we, we realize that even though most of us in this room have come to a place where we have trusted you as our Lord and Savior, uh, we are still wrestling in this world and there's still a part of us that, uh, that finds, it, we, we find ourselves sort of uh, turning back towards the world when we need to be turning towards you. And so, Father, we know that, it is, that, that what we need to overcome that is your power, that our eyes would be focused on you. And this morning, I, I pray that you would do that, that supernatural thing that only you can do when you make this word come alive in our hearts. And uh, we pray that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, we are, the, the title of today's message is Salty People Mourn. And uh, some of you are new to this sermon series today, so you didn't hear the introduction last week. When we say salty, we don't mean angry or upset or, you know, like what, people, you know, what, the, what the kids are saying when they say, hey, I was real salty the other day. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about having the flavor of Jesus Christ on you. 
That's why I, when I read the passage, I read all the way to the part where Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. What does he mean by that? He, he means you taste like me. That's what he's saying. And, and, and if we taste like Jesus, if we have the flavor of Christ, if our lives resemble him, what Jesus says, then you become a preservative in a rotting and broken world. And that's what we want to be. Okay? And so, um, so salty people mourn. Now, when we think of mourning... There are probably several things that come to mind. I imagine for a lot of us, we, we may remember a time when someone close to us died and our hearts were broken. Um, I am preaching out of this black Bible today because this is a Bible my grandparents gave to me. And this week, uh, I, I was looking through it and I found a note my grandmother wrote to me. And, uh, and she's been gone for a few years. And I'll be honest, I'll... I, a little tear welled up in my eye when I was thinking about people who have invested so heavily in my life and now they're gone. They're with the Lord, thankfully, but they're not here. My, my grandmother and my grandfather on my dad's side have both gone to be with the Lord, and my grandfather on my mom's side has gone to be with the Lord. I'm grateful that my grandma Betty's still, uh, still around and giving us all a good hard time, uh, and um, no, she's she's watching right now, and that's why I can tease her a little bit. But uh, but you know, I'm super thankful that that uh, I still have her in my life. But I'm thinking about people who have have gone, and I remember that that there's a fresh pain still. That even though you know my my grandfather, my 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 grandpa Kaysen has been gone 17 years, it still is a little painful when I think about the memory of how he left this world. Now I, I imagine that's something that we can all relate to in some way or another people that we've lost. We think of mourning. Because in, in those moments, you can't avoid that something is wrong with this world. In Luke chapter 5, verses 29 through 32, Jesus had just had a meal at Matthew's house. And the Pharisees and the scribes and the people of Jesus' day were really a little upset about it. Because they, they said, well, you know, what is the deal with your master Jesus? He eats with bad people. And Jesus knew what was on their hearts, and Jesus told them, he says, you know, it's not the well who are in need of a doctor. It's those who are sick. And Jesus said, I didn't come to call the well. I came to call sinners to repentance. Here's the thing. If we think we're okay... If we think everything is fine, then there's no possibility that we can be restored. If you don't admit that you're sick, you can never be treated. One of the great tragedies in this world is when someone who is sick refuses to acknowledge that they are sick so that they can receive treatment. And as we talked about last week, the, the fundamental problem of humanity, the fundamental problem, I know this is a big statement, I believe it's true, the fundamental problem of humanity is that we have chosen to walk in self-centeredness with our f first father, Adam, rather than in self-sacrifice with God in Christ. And, and so we become so self-centered that it's almost like we have a tunnel vision and we can't even see our own brokenness much less the brokenness of those around us in the world that we live in. So one way that we, that we, sort, of, uh, just, we, we sort of keep ourselves from having to focus on the brokenness, the sickness that's in us and, our, and in others, is by distracting ourselves. 
Uh, I've mentioned this before. One of my favorite books is A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. I love that book. Uh, I I, I genuinely like it. I, I I think I was forced to read it one time and actually liked it, uh, and uh, and so. Um, but I but in in the story, there's Doctor Alexandra Minette, which I've mentioned before as a as a sermon illustration. But um, but as I was thinking about this, I remember Doctor Minette because uh, he was in in the book. He was a political prisoner in the ba- Bastille prison for 18 years uh, because he knew a little bit too much about one of the ruling families in France. And so he was imprisoned. And the way he learns to cope with his imprisonment and the pain he's experiencing is he becomes, he learns to make shoes. So here's this brilliant physician, very kind-hearted man, very brilliant at what he does. While he's in prison, he becomes a shoemaker. And he just compulsively makes shoes because it's the only thing that can distract him from his pain. He was torn away from his family. While he's in prison, his wife dies, and he never meets his child. And he goes through this intense pain. He just makes shoes. And then when he's finally released from prison, he just keeps making shoes. And even though he's a free man and he's staying with friends, he compulsively makes shoes. Because shoemaking is the only thing he knows to do to keep him from focusing on the pain in his life. And, and as I was thinking about this, I was wondering... What does making shoes for you look like and for me? Because we, we, we live in this world. We know it's a broken place. If we're honest about it, we know it's a broken place. We know something's not right about this world. But we don't like to think about those things. So we make shoes. Maybe it's Facebook. Maybe it's television. Maybe it's relationship after relationship after relationship. Maybe it's living vicariously through your children. It could be a variety of things, but much like the good doctor in Charles Dickens' classic work, we, we find ways to make shoes so we don't have to think about the pain and the brokenness. We don't want to have to acknowledge that something is off. Now, notice when Jesus said to the Pharisees that it's not those who are well who need a physician. He wasn't declaring that they were well. He was declaring that he didn't come to them because they they refused to acknowledge that they were sick. Jesus can't come to somebody like that. Jesus can't come to somebody who won't acknowledge that there's something within them and something within this culture that is broken. And we can even say it this way, something within this culture that's broken and I'm a part of it. So, what I'm going to say about people who are salty, in other words, people who have the flavor of Jesus, who taste like him, is that salty people are not okay with the status quo in this world. Salty people don't look around and just say, oh, you know, it's fine, it's no big deal, just ignore that over here or that over here. Salty people, people who are like Christ, are just, we're not okay. When we see it in the culture, we're not okay with the brokenness that we see. When we see it in ourselves, we're not okay with the brokenness that we see. By the way, you, got, you really have to start with yourself. There are too many people out there calling out everybody else's sins, but they never want to talk about their own, Right? 
we Christians must refuse to ignore what is amiss and broken in this world. Because we know that Jesus, right, we know him, and he, we know he intentionally entered into a mess that wasn't his so that he could bring healing restoration to a broken world. He didn't make this mess. We did it. People will say, well, I, I, really it was Adam and Eve that did it. But I promise you, you and I, we've participated plenty. Instead of ignoring what is messed up about our world, salty people are honest about it, and then we mourn it so that we can find comfort in the restorative work of Jesus rather than the vain things which are tied up to a broken system that is doomed to fail. All right. So what do we do with this? Well, I want to point out a few things that, that would that may help us. And in this passage specifically, by the way, verse 4, where he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There, there's something difficult here. There's also something really good, right? We, we see that the end of it is comfort, right? That's good. But we have to acknowledge brokenness before we can find comfort. And so let's, let's start with what it means to mourn. What's the, what, what is the context here? What, what is... What are we supposed to mourn? What is Jesus calling us to? Well, if you were to go back to sort of the basics of how this was understood from the very beginning, there are really a couple of things here that Jesus could be referring to, and I think he's probably referring to both of these at the same time. When he says, blessed are those who mourn. Because if we look at the whole of Scripture, we'll see examples of, of different types of mourning. By the way, mourning was not a word. Jesus just pulled out of nowhere. This is common in Old Testament language as well. If you go to Isaiah chapter 61, for instance, uh, in, uh, Jesus went there, remember, in the, when he was in the synagogue at Nazareth, where he essentially declared his ministry was beginning. He says he came to de declare the year of the Lord's favor. But he also says I, to comfort those who mourn. It's pretty important. In fact, maybe it'd be helpful for us to actually read that because it gives us some context here. Um, Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn. See, he didn't pull this concept out of nowhere. But listen to what he says in verse 3 of Isaiah 61. To grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. When Jesus declared his ministry as beginning, and by the way, I would say this is also a purpose statement for the Messiah's ministry. He went to this passage very intentionally because he knew what he was doing. And he uses the same, the same wording when he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We can mourn in a variety of ways, but specifically there are two things. Now, one, I'm going to sort of give... 
I'm going to expand it to three, but we're really only talking about two. Um, and, 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 and I'm going to just tell you what they are. First, salty people mourn over the state of our community, our country, and our world. We mourn over the brokenness of the world that we live in. Now, a part of that, and this may be, rather than a point number two, it may be like a point one B, but we mourn over corporate sin and how corrupted the world has become. And then the third thing, which I think is key here, is that we mourn over personal sin and our part in the corruption. That's where we're going. Well, let's start with this first one. Salty people mourn over the state of our community, our country, and our world. One of the problems in Jesus' day was that the Pharisees and Sadducees and the other leaders acted as if everything, they acted as if everything were fine. Right? They were acting as if, no, it's okay. Even though they were in slavery to the Romans. But remember that they did not see the Romans as their primary threat. They saw Christ as their primary threat, even though he came to free them from that slavery. But they were so dead in their sins that they saw the champion coming to bring freedom as the threat. Now, how much like that is the world that we live in today? Right? The world is so convinced that things are fine. It's almost like that whole, you know, oh, I, you guys remember the old uh, TV show Hogan's Heroes? You know, you remember Schultz, and he would say, I see nothing. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's like the world. It's like nothing. There's nothing. It's, it's fine. There's nothing broken. This is okay. And that was the Pharisees in Jesus' day. And the Sadducees and the other leaders, oh, no, this is fine. You know, oh, oh no, we, we can't let Jesus go on because if the Romans catch wind of this, they may take away our place in the empire. How sad is it to be so content with your place in the empire that you miss your place in the kingdom? And, and, and how easy it is for us to be in this world today and so proud of, our, of being American that we actually miss the kingdom of God. And listen, I love my country too, and I'm glad to be an American. I'm thankful for the freedom that I have. But I want to tell you, there's a lot broken about this place, and I want to be prophetically free to proclaim that. I don't want to be so focused on being an American and being loyal to this country that I miss the kingdom of God. And I, I, I actually have a fear that a lot of people in the church today are more American than they are Christian. And we have to repent of that if that describes us. In that day, they had come to prefer their slavery over the freedom. And I hope that doesn't describe us. But I know it does describe many in our day as well. We live in a world today that, just like them, acts as if everything is just fine. And they, they will push back pretty heavily when we Christians begin speaking of sin and brokenness in the world, don't they? When we warn that the patterns of sin that we've allowed to leach into our society and to be accepted are actually destroying us, they laugh at us. They say to us, you bunch of Christian hypocritical bigots, 
I've had that said to me more than once, okay? Uh, actually, though, if we remember what Jesus said down later in this chapter, he's like, hey, that's good. <laughs> they did the same thing to the prophets. But we'll get to that one in a, in a later week. Um, but, but we who claim to follow Christ must learn to see with his eyes. We have to mourn what is broken. We must, we've got to be able to look at what's broken in our country and call it out. When patriotism becomes idolatry, we got to call that out, right? When, when, when sexual perversion becomes the norm, we have to call that out. When injustice runs rampant, we have to call that out. Church, we've got to be the first ones to say it's not okay in our country or any other place in this world for the color of someone's skin to make them less of a human being. Even our best institutions are broken, and we've got to acknowledge that. Listen, I mean, I know we've been watching the news, and we don't live in holes, right? Oh, maybe some of us do. I don't know. But, but most of us live in houses, and, and, and we're paying attention to the news. What happened to Breonna Taylor was not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. And I know we can sit around, we can talk about the responses to that and how there's, look, evil is going to express itself in evil ways. The world doesn't know how to respond to brokenness and injustice. But church, we do, and we can show them a better way. But we can't just act like it's not a big deal or, you know, those, those police officers probably, they just didn't know or what. It's not okay. It's not okay, and we have to be honest about it. If we are going to confront the brokenness in this world, we have to be honest about it. What happened to George Floyd was not okay. And I'm, look, this is not a sermon about racism, but, but let me tell you, it's real, and it is alive in America, and we are the ones who have to stand against it. It's one of the things. It's an example that's right in front of us today. We call what is broken, we call it broken, and we mourn over it. Blessed are those who mourn. Listen, if we pretend like there's nothing wrong, we can't be comforted. We cannot experience the comfort of Jesus if we are not acknowledging that there is something wrong. And can I also point out that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul says that not only are we comforted, but God gives us comfort so that we can help others receive comfort in him. So part of our job as believers is to acknowledge the brokenness, to call it out, to point it out, and to say, listen, this is messed up, but I want you to know Jesus Christ entered into this mess in order to restore everything. There's a lot of brokenness in our land. If we want to experience this comfort, we, we need to acknowledge it. Let's not pretend like America is the perfect country. It's not. There's one perfect country. It's coming, right? In, in Scripture, in, 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 the, in the Hall of Faith chapter of Hebrews, one of the things, one of the descriptors of those, those people was Scripture says they were longing for a better country, for a city whose builder is the Lord. Look, everything that's good about America is that it echoes the coming kingdom. If there is any good in this, it's because it's an echo of a future that's to come. But this is not the future that's to come. And we must acknowledge that reality and 
let's, let's cling to what is good. Okay, if there's anything good in this nation, let's tell people, listen, that is a good thing because it helps us to see that there's a coming future in Jesus that's better than anything any human can build. So let's go there. But let's mourn over what's broken. But let's also mourn over corporate sin and how corrupted the world in general has become. Obviously, we know there's brokenness in our community. We know there's brokenness in our nation, but it's bigger than that. There's brokenness in the whole world. And we know, like, part of this is understanding that death and loss are a part of life, that, this life that we live in. Those things don't feel like they should be. When I lose someone who's close to me, I, there's something in me that just knows that's not the way God created this world to work. We know that, that death and loss are not natural parts of the world that God has made, but they are a part of our lives daily. We experience death and loss on a regular basis, and it's painful. It's almost, you know, I, in the picture in my mind, it's like, it's like the cart has really been derailed from the track. You know, I, I get this image of a disaster, of like a train derailment, and here's the cars all over the place. That kind of feels like what the world is like some days. It's just a big train wreck. And then people are walking around that train wreck going, eh, you know, it's still a train. <laughs> I mean, it's like, like, what? What? It's broken. We mourn over the brokenness. We, it's okay to acknowledge that it's messed up. And in fact, that's even a good thing. But the world walks around and proposes endless human solutions to what is a God-sized problem. Only through Christ can we overcome the mess that this has become. Only in Christ. So when we see corporate sin, we see that people in our culture have just embraced open living in sin and they don't care about what God says or what Scripture teaches anymore. What's the answer to that? I'm pretty convinced that the answer to that is not us hurling darts or throwing stones at others, but us getting more serious about what's broken in us. I want to acknowledge my own brokenness. I, you know, one of the great ways that we become a preservative, in other words, salt in this world, is by the inner transformation that happens in us. And as people see the, restor the restorative work of God at work in us, that opens a door for others to also receive it because they see our repentance. They see us being broken over the sin of the world, but not in, in a judgmental sort of a way. I think that's one of the great turnoffs in our culture is they see a lot of Christians as judgmental because, unfortunately, that's been the case at times. We look at their sin and we say, hey, you need to get, to, you need to get it together. But we're not acknowledging what's broken in us. What they need to see is us to be honest and real and authentic and true. And like Jesus said in John chapter 3, he says those of this world refuse to come to the light because they're afraid their deeds might be exposed. But he says those of you who come to the light, you come to the light acknowledging your brokenness but that your deeds have been carried out in God. Right? In other words, I don't mind putting the fact that I'm broken on display because look what God is doing to me. Look what he's restoring. Look what he's healing. I'm becoming something better than I ever could have been on my own. And yes, I acknowledge my sin is 
bad. We'll just keep going. Oh, hey there. We're, we're live. We're, we're, we're back. Okay. Um, man, this must be really important. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I better get to the third thing because I think, uh, anyway. Um, but that leads us into this idea of mourning over personal sin and, and our part in this corruption. It's easy. It's easy to look at somebody else's brokenness right? It's easy to look at the world and, and you know, I've, 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 I remember growing up, a lot of the hymns were like escapist type hymns. It's like, woo, this place is bad. I got to get out of here. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all, y'all been, you, you know, you've, I'm sure, experienced some of those. Like, it's just like, yikes. But Jesus prayed to the Father that he would not take us out of this world. Why? You know, sometimes it feels like it'd be nice just to, just to go, right? Fly away, as the old song uh, would say. You know, but God has not called us to escape from this world. God has called us to be present in this world for good. So how do we do that? Well, again, we can look at someone else's problem, and, and we can look at the world's brokenness as someone else's problem, something someone else did. But the truth is that we are sinners. We're a part of the problem just as much as anybody, right? As we said earlier, we've participated plenty in our father Adam's sin. The best of us, the best humans, the strongest humans are toast apart from Christ. And by the way, the best I can do on my own won't even come close to measuring up apart from Christ. No one can become strong in the Lord until we realize we are weak in ourselves. We cannot become strong in the Lord until we realize and acknowledge we are weak in ourselves. I'm convinced that we have to come to the end of ourselves, discovering we can't carry our own brokenness and that only then can we begin with Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When you look deep inside yourself and you're really honest about it, do you see some things that don't line up with the character and nature of who Jesus is? Are there parts of you that aren't as salty as they ought to be? Sin patterns, maybe you've been dragging along for a while. Maybe you've been ignoring them and saying, well, it's really not that big of a deal. I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say, you know, it's okay if I practice this little, little baby sin over here because on Sunday Jesus is going to forgive me. Why are you living like that if you've been set free? What, you know, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, if we've been set free from sin, why in the world would we go back to it? It's your slavery. It's your ball and chain. And Jesus gave you the key and unlocked it. So why are you going to put it back on? Huh? 
But can we weep and mourn together over our tendency to want to put it back on? Over the fact that we have that in our lives? Now, I don't want us to think that, that somehow, you know, Jesus wants to get you all depressed and focused on your sin. That's not the point here. Okay, the point here is that we would acknowledge our brokenness so that we can then turn towards him and receive the comfort. And that's the end game here, right? Comfort. The world thinks that comfort comes from participating in self-centered, self-seeking pleasures. In fact, the worldly value, if we talk about the kingdom value is mourning over sin and the brokenness of our world, the world's value is happiness at any cost. Because somehow, by being happy, I can avoid thinking about what's broken in me. That's why the founding fathers used the term life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know it was originally supposed to be the pursuit of property, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of property. They changed it to happiness. Such an American concept. You <laughs> Happy, you know? What does that even mean? So, I, I don't know. But, but it's what so many people are pursuing. You hear this all the time. Whatever makes you happy. Happiness is fleeting. But what Jesus is promising is comfort. Comfort acknowledges brokenness. It acknowledges that it's real. But it turns towards something greater than itself in order to receive something better. Jesus says that true comfort comes to those who refuse to accept the crooked ways of this world and instead mourn its crookedness while looking towards the straight and narrow path of Jesus. And I'll give you something from James James wrote in chapter 4, verses 7 through 10 of his letter, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Yeah, he is talking to Christians. What do, we, what, what do we hear from this? Well, I'll tell you what I think God wants us to hear from this. Your road to peace, your road to blessing, and another way to think about that blessing is empowerment to live a true life, right? Blessing rather than a cursed life, but a blessed life. Your road to blessing is by turning away from yourself and towards Jesus. And mourning over our sin and over the brokenness of our world is a way for us to acknowledge this place can't satisfy. It's a way for us to acknowledge I can't satisfy myself. Only Jesus satisfies. So I'm mourning the state of this world that is not in line with the world that God created. I'm mourning my own inability to be the person God created me to be. But by doing that, I'm acknowledging that I need a Savior. I need someone who can do it for me. God's ultimate goal 
is that we would be aware of brokenness, we'd be aware of inadequacy, that we'd be sad about it, that our hearts would turn towards Christ. I can't say that enough. Have you turned your heart and your life towards Jesus today? And by the way, um, this is not just a one-time thing. I know sometimes in the evangelical movement, we've acted as if, well, you just receive Jesus and, uh, one time, and then you go about your life, and, and then someday, you know, you're going to die and go to heaven, and he's going to finish you, essentially. Coming to Jesus is a regular event for a Christian. We stray. It's like the, the old hymn says, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We stray, but we return. And by the way, I'll also understand this, that you know the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time thing. We have to constantly be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So some of us have been living powerless lives for a while now. Your Christianity is dry. Why? Because you have got to turn away from yourself and towards Jesus constantly if you want to have the power to overcome. When the only hope of being restored is outside of yourself, the best thing you can possibly do is mourn your own inadequacy, admit that it's on you, and turn towards the one who has the power to make you whole. That's the point this morning. Turn towards the one who has the power to make you whole. Whether you've been walking with the Lord for years or whether you're new to this whole Christianity thing, what I want to do is I want to invite all of us to turn away from self and towards Jesus this morning. Can we do that? Can we mourn what's broken in us so that we can receive the comfort of Jesus this morning? Let's pray. And, and also, I would just say, um, you know, Pastor Richard, would you mind coming? And... Um, and we have several in this room. We have, uh, like, you know, um, several in this room who are on our prayer team. Uh, in fact, if you're on our prayer team, would you just stick your hand up so people can see where you are? <laughs> we have a couple of, of our prayers here. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to encourage you, if you need to do business with the Lord, come and find somebody. You can go over here and talk with Gloria. You can talk with Dennis. You can talk with my mother over here, Rhonda, uh, Pastor Richard, myself. We just want to give a few minutes, give the Lord space. If there's something in your life the Lord has revealed to you that you need to repent of, some sin that he's given you a heart of mourning towards, we want to give you a chance to receive his comfort this morning. One of the ways we do that is by confessing our sin, confessing our brokenness, so that we can be restored. So let's take a minute and do that. You, you don't have to come find somebody. You can do that right where you are as well. But we want to give you that opportunity. So. Thanks for listening to this podcast from New Covenant Fellowship. We'd love to connect with you. If God spoke to you today, if you'd like someone to pray for you, you can text us at 405-518-5164 or visit us at ncfokc.org to find other ways to connect with our church. God bless. Have a great day.